We are in a series this morning that we've been calling Questioning Christianity, looking at the hard questions for the Christian faith. This morning I think we're going to deal with what is the hardest question of the Christian faith. And so as you turn your Bibles, please make your way to Matthew chapter 5, verses 21 and 22. Matthew 5, verse 21 and 22. And as you turn there, I want to let you know that if you have any questions about this morning's sermon, we're a church that welcomes questions. We want to be a safe place for people to explore their thing, their faith and to grow in their faith. And so you can go ahead and text that question in on the sheet that you were handed when you came in or on the screen in front of you. There's a number. You can go ahead and text in your question to that number. That text will come to me anonymously. Uh, and so you can be as honest, as brutally honest as you want in that text message. It's totally anonymous. I would love to take that question and then later this week I'll do a video trying to address the questions that come. So feel free to have your phone out during this time. Be an active listener and ask questions as they come to your mind. Let's go ahead and read Matthew chapter 5, verse 21 and 22. This is the Word of God. Jesus speaking, He says, You've heard it said, To those of old you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you, that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. Praise God for the reading of his word. May he be with us now through the preaching of his word. One time I was speaking at an event, and after the event, a young person came up to me and said, thanks for everything you shared, but I have a problem. My problem is I really just don't see how there can only be one truth. You're saying Jesus is the truth, but how can there only be one truth? I don't think there is such a thing as one truth. I said, I understand. I get that, uh, I get that question a lot. It's a common, a common concern people can have. But I said, so you're telling me that there is not one truth, that there's many truths. Yes. Do you think, am I supposed to take that as a truthful statement? Uh, well, yeah, I hope so, he said. So that's one truth that you want me to believe. And I said, do you see what you're saying? You know, you're saying that, that I only believe one truth, but the reality is you only believe one truth too. Right? We all, we all believe a truth, and sometimes those things are in conflict with one another. And so the question we should ask is not how can there only be one truth, because we all believe some truth about something. I was like, can I suggest a better question? I think a better question is, what is a truth that will cause you to love other people that don't share that truth? If we're all going to believe in one truth, what is one truth that's going to cause you to love other people even if they don't share your belief in that truth? He said, that's a really interesting question. I said, thanks, it's not mine. I read it in a book somewhere. But I said, here's a really wild idea I want you to consider. What if what can make us the most loving people on the planet, what if what can make us the most compassionate and humble and generous people is the biblical idea of hell? He said, really? Hell and love? Those things don't typically go together. I said, yeah. 
They don't. But I think that's exactly what Jesus wanted to teach us. This morning we're coming to what I think is the hardest question for the Christian faith. It's how could a loving God send people to hell? How could a loving God send people to hell? But what I want to show you in this text that we read this morning is I want to show you two things that Jesus is saying here about hell. And then I want to show you how if we believe these things, that should lead us to be the most loving people on the entire planet. Let's look at God's Word together. The first thing that we see is that hell shows us that people have value. One of the things that hell actually communicates us, that Jesus is teaching us through these, these verses, is that it shows us the value of human beings. Please notice in this verse, who is taking all the actions? It says, here's the person who gets angry. Here's the person who has hatred. Here's the person who says words, you fool. Right? They're being judged, yes, but why are they being judged? They're being judged for the actions that they're taking. And so judgment implies that people are responsible for the choices they make. Judgment implies that people are cognitive beings who have the ability to make meaningful choices. If someone wants to get off a charge and they plead insanity, what are they saying? They're saying, I should not be judged for this. It's not my fault. I'm not in my right mind. Jesus is saying when people act this way, they deserve to be judged because they are in their right minds. People, we have, we have the ability to make meaningful choices. Our culture wants to get squeamish about judgment. We don't like talking about the idea of judgment. It's not popular, and we try to find ways to explain it away. We try to explain away the bad things that we can see in this world. It makes me think of the musical West Side Story and one of my favorite, uh, favorite songs in it, you know, Dear uh, Sergeant Crumpke, right? It's about these kids who have gotten caught doing these bad things. They try to explain away all that they did and say, you know, Dear Kindly Sergeant Crumpke, you got to understand, it's just our bringing up key that's got us out of hand. It's not our fault. We're just products of the environment. We act this way because we are taught to act this way. Sam Harris begins his book, Free Will, by recounting a, a set of callous crimes committed by two men against a family. Terrible things that include child abuse and assault and robbery and eventually murder. His conclusion to the, that horror is that those men actually had no choice. They had no choice. This is what he says. The idea that we, as conscious beings, are deeply responsible for our mental lives and subsequent behavior is simply impossible to map onto reality. This is what our culture wants to do. It's not our fault. We are pre-programmed and pre-wired. We don't make meaningful choices. But Jesus is saying something totally different here. No, you do make meaningful choices. We deserve judgment for the choices we make because no one else is making them except ourselves. And think about this. If we're trying to say to people that you can't be judged for the negative things you do, guess what that also means? You should not be praised for the positive things you do. If we're just products of our environment, then not only can we not condemn anyone, we also should not praise anyone. A couple months ago, I watched the movie Hacksaw Ridge. It's a great movie. 
It's about a medic named Desmond Doss who was a conscientious objector. And yet he was still took upon himself to care for soldiers. And Hacksaw Ridge was this cliff that his company climbed up, and when they got to the top, they were ambushed by the Japanese. Only 55 men were able to get back down off that cliff. The rest were pinned down under the machine gun fire. And the men at the bottom of the cliff could only listen helplessly to the cries of their fallen comrades. Then they saw, inexplicably, an injured man being lowered down from the side of a cliff. And then another one. And then another one. And why that was happening was because Desmond Doss was at the top of that cliff, irregardless of his own personal safety, lowering man after man after man down. And it's estimated that that night he saved 100 people. A few days later, he was in a foxhole with fellow soldiers, and a grenade was thrown in it. They all fled for safety, and he placed his body on top of it as the grenade went off to save their lives. When he went home to have his injuries tended to, he was given the Congressional Medal of Honor, the highest honor we can give for acts of heroism. But why should he get that honor if we're not responsible for choices? Why praise him as a hero if anyone else would do the same thing, if they had the same upbringing and the same type of things he did? He's not a hero. That's just natural. Do you see? If we do away with judgment, we do away with praise. We can't condemn the horror of Larry Nasser, the doctor who molested hundreds of young gymnasts. It's not his fault. And nor can we praise the courage of those women who stood up to confront him and expose him. Do away with judgment and we do away with any kind of meaningful choice that we can make. You can't condemn, you can't praise. But Jesus is saying here, no, choices do matter. They do matter. That's why judgment happens. It shows that we actually have value, that we are autonomous beings who can make real choices. And not only does it show us our value as those who can make meaningful choices, it shows the value by the judgment that comes based upon those who harm one another. The value of something is usually shown by how we treat it if it's mistreated. The value of something is shown by what happens when that thing is mistreated. So you take a piece of wood and you chop up that wood into a bunch of pieces and throw into a fire no one gets upset at you. It's a piece of wood. But if you do that with a human being, you've just committed a grisly murder and you're going to go away to jail for the rest of your life. Right? We have greater value and so therefore there's a greater punishment that comes with it. Well, God is taking this one step even further. Jesus is saying here that he values human beings so much that not only does he punish the wrong things that we can do, he values us so much that he, he cares when we even feel wrong things towards one another. That's how much God values and cares about us. He doesn't just care about the murder that happens. He cares about the anger that exists in our hearts. God values us. God values us because he made us. He breathed life into us. Psalm 139 says that we are knit together in our mother's womb. We are not a random accident 
of the universe. No, each life has been purposefully and intentionally created by God. And so every life has value. And not only is it created by God, but each life is made, as Genesis 1 tells us, each life is made in the image of God. In ancient times, kings would send out an emissary to a foreign land, and they would give them a seal that would have their image on it. And that emissary would be considered an image bearer of the king. And when you went to do interactions with foreign countries, how that image bearer was treated was a reflection on how that country felt about the king. To harm and touch the image bearer was to harm and considered harming and touching the king himself. God says that he not only created us, but he has made us in his image. He has put his seal upon us. And so to harm or mistreat another human being, God considers as a personal offense to himself. See, the judgment of God shows that God believes all human life is sacred. Life is sacred. And because of that, while we do not always get justice on earth, and we don't, we don't always get justice on earth. We don't always get the closure that we want. Because God values us so much, God will execute justice on anyone who dares to mess with one of his image bearers. Friends, you need to understand that you matter to God. And so what happens to you matters to God. Not just what people do about you, but you matter to God so much that even how people feel about you matters to God. We shudder at the idea of hell, but friends, hell actually shows us that each human life has tremendous value because we're responsible for the choices we make and because of the punishment that comes from messing with humanity. Hell shows and communicates tremendous value that we have before God. But not only does it show our value, number two, hell shows us the value of God. Hell doesn't just show us the value of human being. Hell actually shows us the value of God himself. Here's what Jesus is saying in these verses. These verses. You see this action. You see the action of murder. I see the heart. I see what's actually behind it. You see the end result I see where things start. And if you see where things really start, that's what allows you to see where things are really going to end. In any kind of outbreak, one of the things that's very important to containing that outbreak in understand, is an understanding of where it's going to go and how it's going to spread and what's going to happen. And the best way to understand where something's going to go and how it's going to happen is finding patient zero. That's one of the first priorities in any kind of outbreak. You want to find patient zero. You want to find the first person that got this. You want to find the first place this went wrong so that you'll be able to determine which way things are going to go. One of the reasons that we've had such a struggle with COVID-19 is because China did not give anyone access to patient zero. That's why we weren't able to see where things were going to be able to go. God knows what patient zero is. He knows where all things start. They start in our hearts. And so because God's divine gaze pierces the human heart, God can see not just what we see, He can see the end result of where things are going to go. 
See, God knows that the heart of sin, if left unaddressed, He knows where it will always end up. Sin left unaddressed, it it festers like an infection in a wound. And so you have a heart of hatred that grows into words of verbal abuse, that grows into the physical abuse, that culminates even in in murder. But imagine, what if that just continued? What if that cycle of, of anger and hatred just kept going on and on and on for all eternity? What would you call that kind of existence? Makes me think of a quote by C.S. Lewis who says this, it's not a question of God sending us to hell. In each of us, there's something growing up which will be of itself hell unless it is nipped in the bud. Tim Keller, another pastor, says it this way, a common image of hell in the Bible is that of fire. We saw that in our text, right? Jesus called it the hell of fire. Think about what fire does. Fire disintegrates. Even in this life, we can see the kind of soul disintegration that self-centeredness creates. We know how selfishness and self-absorption leads to piercing bitterness, nauseating envy, paralyzing anxiety, paranoid thoughts, and the mental denials and distortions that accompany them. Now ask the question, what if when we die, we don't end, but our spiritual life extends into eternity? Hell, then, is the trajectory of the soul, living a self-absorbed, self-centered life, going on and on forever. Friends, the idea of hell being God's torture chamber, or hell being a place where Satan rules, those ideas are not found in the Bible. They come from medieval thought. They, they were introduced by extra-biblical teachings. This is what the Bible says. The Bible describes hell as the place of separation away from the loving presence of God. 2 Thessalonians 1.9 says they will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His might. Friends, hell is the banishment of Satan. It's the banishment of his demons. It's the banishment of anyone who rejects God. It's separation from God. It's being cast out of his presence. And so hell is darkness because God is light. And so to be separate from God is to be left into complete darkness. Hell is described as eternal death because God is eternal life. And so to be separate from the eternal life of God is to experience eternal and perpetual death. Think about last week when we talked about heaven. We talked about how what makes heaven heaven is Jesus. Jesus is what makes heaven heaven. Heaven is not primarily just a place. Heaven is being with a person. And so the description of heaven in Revelation chapter 21 is, yes, it's a city, but it says that city has no need of a light or sun because Jesus Christ is dwelling in that city and His glory gives brightness to the whole thing. Heaven is talked about as a groom welcoming in his bride. It's talked about as a child being restored to its father. Hell is just, I mean, heaven is described in relational terms. And so if heaven is a relationship with God, then hell is the opposite. Hell is not having a relationship with God. 
It's not wanting to come home to the groom. It's the child who wants to stay away from the home. It's the idea that I don't want to be with him. Christopher Hitchens, who wrote a lot of books against Christianity, once said, heaven would be hell for me. And I think he actually got his theology really right in that statement. Because he hated God. And that's what heaven is. It is being with God. And so heaven would have been hell for him. Friends, we have to understand that hell is God letting us do what we wanted to do on earth, letting us live our own way, do our own thing, be separate from him. God is letting us do that forever. C.S. Lewis says, hell is God saying to us, thy will be done. D.A. Carson, a theologian who's written extensively on this subject, says hell is not filled with people who have already repented, only God isn't gentle enough or good enough to let them out. It's filled with people who for all eternity still want to be the center of the universe and who persist in their God-defying rebellion. And so what is God to do? If people want to be separate from him, if people want to rebel against his rule in their lives, what is God to do? To say that that doesn't matter to him, to say that it's, he's okay with people who want to be against him, is for God to devalue himself. When you're dealing with domestic violence victims, one of the things that you want to do is you want to help them realize their self-worth and value. You are worth someone who wants to be with you. You are worth someone who wants to care about you. You're worth it. And so this person who is mistreating you should have no place in your life. Friends, God knows his worth. God knows he has supreme value. And so God will not suffer people mistreating him and not valuing him for all eternity. God has made himself known. Romans 1 says this, that God makes very clearly, he, he has made himself known in all the things that are created. We're going to look at this more specifically even next week as we look at the, the clues that God has left about himself. God has made his presence known. Psalm 19, the heavens declare the glory of God. We should never be able to look at the stars and think about the universe and not realize that there's a God who's made this whole world that we owe our lives to. But we don't. We don't. We look at the glory of heaven and we close our eyes and we instead choose to live for ourselves. We don't give God the proper honor that he's due. And so no matter how genuine we can be, no matter how good we can be, we don't give God what he deserves. And so hell happens because God will not allow himself to be devalued for all eternity. Hell shows us that God values himself supremely. Here's why this should make us incredibly loving people. First, if we see hell as a validation and an affirmation of the value of people, then that means that we should value people. No matter who that person is, no matter what they believe, no matter where they come from, no matter what they've done, no matter what race they are, every person 
is worthy of value, dignity, and worth. As Christians, we must believe this. If we believe what hell says about us, that we have life and meaning, that our choices matter, then we need to understand that the choice to treat other people with the respect they deserve as an image bearer of God, that choice matters. And so hell should make us loving people because it shows us the value and worth of other people. But hell should also make us loving people because why it shows us the value of God and shows us the consequence of devaluing God. Friends, it also shows us the love of God. Because God has not just left us to go into eternity unwarned. He's not left us just to go into eternity without a way of escape. No, Jesus Christ came. God in the flesh. Fully God, fully man. To live the life of perfection that we could not live. And then to die on the cross for our sins. Friends, the cross was a moment of horrific pain, tremendous physical torment and anguish, but let's be really clear. We're not forgiven and saved from our sins because of the physical death that Jesus died. We're not saved because of what Roman soldiers did to Jesus. We're saved because of what God did to Jesus. Isaiah 53 10 says, it was the will of the Lord to crush him. God has put him to grief when his soul makes an offering for guilt. Friend, we deserve hell. We deserve eternal separation from God because of the ways that we live for ourselves and devalue him. We deserve to be left into hell and to suffer the agony of that separation for all eternity. But Jesus Christ came as God, and as he died on the cross, because he is an eternal being, Jesus Christ, in his eternal being, was able to have what would take me and you in eternity to experience in hell. Jesus has all of that condensed down and poured out upon him on the cross because it was the will of God for him to taste and experience the hell that all of us deserve. Friends, as we understand hell, what we are seeing as we contemplate the horror of a life being set, spent separated from God, what we see is, friends, we should first of all see the depth of the love of God who suffered that hell for us. It says that the sky went dark that night as the wrath of God descended on His Son and Jesus bore our hell in His body on the cross. Friends, when we understand hell, we're understanding the price of our salvation. We're understanding the true depth of the debt that Jesus paid for us. Someone comes to my house, and uh, I'm away. They're collecting my mail. He says, hey, Jeff, I got your mail, and I know she had a bill coming due, so I paid that bill for you. 
Like, I'd be grateful, right? But the measure of my gratitude will be determined by how much that bill was. Was it just the PPA sending me on my monthly traffic ticket? Let's be honest, that's what happens here in Philly, right? Like, they just, on a monthly basis, just coming, you know? Hey, I'm grateful you caught that $30 bill for me. Thank you so much for doing it. I'll do it next month for you because, you know, we all get those bills in the mail. Wouldn't it be far different if someone said, hey, Jeff, it was your mortgage, and I paid it, not just the monthly payment, I paid off your whole house, you now own it free and clear. Little different response, like jaw-dropping, I don't even know what to do with that kind of generosity, right? Friends, Jesus has taken on a debt far greater than my mortgage. He's taken on a debt that we can't even fathom the depths of. He has taken on the debt of our eternal punishment, and He has taken it all, and He, on the cross, paid it in full. Friends, the fact that this should have on us is that this should fill us with so much joy. The fact that we, who deserve hell, are now given salvation and the future of heaven. The fact that we, who deserve to be staring the damnation of God in the face, instead can see the loving face of God looking down upon us. Oh, friends, as we see what Christ has done, this should fill us with joy and love that is transformative. I think about It's a Wonderful Life, where George Bailey had that experience of seeing life without him in it. And then he's just, he's horrified by that, right? And then he gets given back his life. He experiences a, a resurrection almost, if you will. What happens? He's just so filled with joy. He runs around hugging random strangers. He even goes to his enemy and bangs on the window and says, Merry Christmas, Mr. Potter! Right? Friends, we have been given a lot more than George Bailey has been given. There is nothing more terrifying in all of existence than hell. And so therefore, there should be no greater joy than those who believe that hell exists and believe that they've been spared of it by the love of God. It should make us the most loving people that we're just whether it's strangers on the street, whether it's our family, whether it's even an enemy. Because of what we've been given, our hearts should overflow in love. If we believe that hell exists, then there's no one on this planet who believes that we have been given more. If we believe that hell is a real thing, then there's no one on this planet who knows that they've had a greater debt forgiven. Understanding hell, friends, should give a depth to God's love that fills us with tremendous joy and love for other people. And so when I see people, as we all can, sadly and tragically and horribly and disgustingly carrying those signs, condemning and damning people to hell. I remember doing a chapel service for the Phillies last year and walking out, just seeing these hateful group of people with those signs. Let's be very clear. Their problem is not that they believe in hell. That's not what's making them judgmental. Their problem is that they don't believe in hell enough. They don't understand the depth of it enough. They don't understand that it's something they deserve. 
and something that they've been spared. If they did, they would not be there with those signs. They'd be there with love. And so friends, as Christians, if you are here and you place your faith in Jesus Christ, when you are tempted to judge someone else, when you are tempted to get angry at someone else, when you are tempted to withhold bitterness, withhold forgiveness, and hold on to bitterness, what I need in that moment, what you need in that moment, is a greater understanding of what we deserve and what we've actually experienced in Jesus Christ. Friends, hell should make us the most compassionate, humble, gentle, and loving people on the entire planet. If you're here, you have not yet placed your faith in Jesus, watching online or present with us in person, I'm going to close by sharing a story. When I was a sophomore in college, I had a friend who played on the soccer team. His name was Pat. One day I was having a conversation with Pat about the Christian faith. And Pat asked me, Jeff, just what's the deal with hell, though? Like, I don't really get hell. And I said, yeah, it's really hard. And I don't know. I mumbled a few phrases and made a complete botch of it and said, you know, listen, let's just, let's just talk about tomorrow. The reality was I was embarrassed. You know, we'd had picketers on campus and I didn't want to be associated with them you know the people with the signs so let's just let's just we'll talk about tomorrow and I'll be honest I kind of hope that he would forget about it and tomorrow would never come the next day I woke up to a text message from another friend saying did you hear what happened to Pat that night before Pat had gotten in a car accident on the Lake City Expressway and went into eternity. That day, I wrote out this quote from Charles Spurgeon because I wanted this emblazoned on my mind and on my heart. So Charles Spurgeon, a great preacher, what he said, if sinners be damned, at least let them leap to hell over our dead bodies. And if they perish, let them perish with our arms wrapped about their knees, imploring them to stay. If hell must be filled, let it be filled in the teeth of our exertions. And let not one go unwarned and unprayed for. And friend, I just want you to know that that if you are listening to this right now, anyone who right now is under the sound of my voice, I pray that you would stop hearing my voice, and I pray you would start hearing the voice of God who is trying to speak to you and plead with you. I do not want you to go unwarned or unprepared. Hell is a real place. God will allow us to experience the judgment that our choices deserve if we want to live separate from Him, there will be a day where God says, Thy will be done. But friends, today is not that day. God has you breathing and drawing breath because He wants you to know Him. He wants you to have a relationship with Him. 
the God who experienced hell for you on the cross, the God who gave himself in love for you, wants you to know this love. That is why you're listening to this. I don't care if you were brought here against your will. I don't care if you were sent this by a link from someone. I don't know how you're listening to this or where or when this is coming to you, but I know God has you listening to this because he loves you and he wants you to know him. Whether you're a child or a teenager, or an adult. God wants you to know him today. God wants you to place your belief and faith in him. So if you're watching this online, please reach out to me. Reach out to send a message to our church. We want to pray for you. We want to give you an assurance of salvation in Jesus Christ. And if you're here today, I don't know everyone here. I don't know where everyone's coming from. Maybe you've even been coming out for a while. Maybe you're even a member. But like, I'm not actually sure if I place my faith in Christ. Friend, today is the day of salvation. Today is the day of salvation. I'll be available after the service, staying up front. I would love to speak to anyone who has any questions and would like to come to know Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior. Would you bow your heads with me in prayer?